So in John chapter 15, um, kind of to set the stage just a little bit, um, you'll remember in the life of Christ, obviously we celebrated his birth. He's now fulfilled his complete life. We're on the clear back end here. John 14, 15, 16, and 17 are really the John's account of the, uh, the supper in the upper room, his last supper with the disciples, and a very different angle and a different approach than what Matthew, Mark, and Luke take. But at any rate, that's where we find ourselves. And you'll also understand and remember, if you're looking for takeaways, and I'll go over these throughout the message, um, we always want to stay focused on those things which Jesus repeats, right? Barely, barely, truly, truly, or he'll say something two or three times, right? That's how they use punctuation marks in the New Testament. So here we have to go all the way back to John, not all the way back, but we're going to be reading from John 15. But let us not forget the new command, and we even talked about this on Friday, the only command that Jesus gave us, the new command, a new command that I give you is, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Today you're going to hear that twice in John chapter 15. So it's, it's not wise just to take off in John chapter 15 without backing up just a little bit to see the context of where it comes from. And in addition, he bookends this in John 14, and at the end of 15 and even into 16, with the Holy Spirit, describing the Counselor, the Holy Spirit. And I think that's interesting, too. So as we start out here, before we get started in reading our text, I'm going to provide, again, somewhat of, if we, were, if we had a stage up here, we'd, again, provide a backdrop or a, a, a set. And in your bulletin on the inside, you'll notice we have grounded in Christ, growing in the church, and going in culture. And if you were to summarize that, those three paragraphs, I think you could summarily state it in saying that our goal, really, and and it's collective goal as a body, this small body here, we could all fit right here, I don't know what you guys are all spread out for, um, is really to produce fully developing followers of Christ. Right? I mean, honestly. You can summarize it all that easily, who bring glory to God and good to the world as members of a local church engaged in culture. But really, we're trying to produce fully developing followers of Christ, not anemic, not skinny, scrawny, sinful, tangled up little creatures following Christ, not a a wrangling group of people that just cannot get along. Not a bunch of people that just gather once on Sunday and feed me like a naked bird and then go out and just live your life in the world like the rest of the world. No, no. It's to develop fully following, produce fully developing followers of Christ. Now let me break that out just a little bit, not to um, patronize you, but to produce according to John 15, 16, and we're going to be there in just a little bit. He has appointed and ordained us to go and bear, and that word bear is actually to produce fruit, and later on we'll see in this message it's fruit that will last. Is your house going to last? Is your car going to last? Is your new set of clothes that you got for Christmas going to last? What is the only thing that's going to last? If we take it in the context of the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life, if this is truly we're talking about the spirit, Jesus came here, right, to redeem our soul, what is the only fruit that's going to last? Souls. We need to be producing souls. We need to be fruit bearers, soul bearers, sharing the gospel, as Paul told us, and then allowing the Holy Spirit to draw them. But that's our job is to 
draw people through the power of the Holy Spirit to produce fruit, fruit that will last. And you're going to see this in the context later. Fully developing, different from partially developing, incompletely or deficiently developing. No, we want a fully developed. Like a fully developing fetus. We have Becky and Heath who are about to have a baby. Praise God. Or a fully developing athlete. Some of you will go home and watch sports today and enjoy sports and they don't not train and not practice so that they can be partially good. Paul told us to run as if to win the prize. And followers of Christ, that's easy, right? Jude sums that up best. To him alone, to the only God our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before, now, and forevermore. Produce fully developing followers of Christ. All right, so what's the effective means? How are we going to do that? Again, just the context. Here we stand, and we're going to go off into 2011. What is our plan in doing that? Well, we've talked about this, and Heath even talked about it, and you've heard us talk about it before. Just stay engaged in small groups. Stay engaged in Bible studies. Certainly come together here once a month. But that's how you're going to most effectively do that. And what's the pattern? Bible, reason, experience, tradition. What's the biblical pattern for doing that? Where do we get that reference? Why would we meet together and break bread as a small group? Because that's what the Bible tells us to do. Acts chapter 2. All through the Proverbs. We encourage you guys to read the Proverbs every day. Be reading those Proverbs. Make notes for yourself. I would be happy to take all of you through them. But accountability is a gigantic part of what we do. And you cannot be accountable if you are not plugged into a small group or have a good friend or a small group of friends once a week or however often that are holding you accountable. And me too. You can read Bruce Shelley's early church history and the church veered off. It has always veered off when it's gotten away from God's word, from reliance on his word and his Holy Spirit, and not had collectively an accountable group of men who feared this word. Always. It's always when you have some esoteric bozo out there, literally, and there's a bunch of them out there who mislead the flock and they don't recognize truth from falsehood because they haven't been meeting and studying God's word on their own and collectively a small group. So that's really the plan. It's not a, there's no mystery here. Even this morning, we're going to talk about some, certainly some things that can, you'll wrestle with, but my goodness, does, does finite man really think that he's going to understand an infinite God? I mean, come on. D.A. Carson said it best. We don't have to explain everything away. We step out in faith. We believe by faith a lot of what we read and a lot of what we believe. Now, as we do that, that sounds a little pointed, and I want to stay away from being jaded because I can be that way. Paul tells Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.5, I urged you when I went into Macedonia, Tim, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Titus, the opening of Titus, it's the same thing. Titus, I told you, to stay there and to finish the work that I hadn't got done. Now, appoint yourself some godly men. And he gives the requirements. First Timothy and Titus give us the requirements for an elder, right? Now, what do, I want, what, do I, what do I want you to do? Well, I want you to instruct them to quit teaching false doctrine. And then the goal of this command in the NASB, it's the, the goal of this instruction, Tim, is love. It's love. And you're going to see that repeated throughout today as well which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
John 13:34, a new command I give you. We just talked about this. Love one another as I have loved you. Colossians 3:12, as God's chosen people from a prison cell, clothe yourselves with compassion, humility, gentleness, patience, and above all these things, bind yourselves to love. Bind yourselves together with love. Everything we do needs to be done in love. Everything. That's the hallmark of Eagle Bible Church, of the church. Now, we, as we all know, we learned a few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to, to preach on James. And we went through a whole list of things that James said we needed to do, and we just kind of put a comma there and said, okay, this, all of these things are pointing to the fruits of the Spirit. Right? I mean, it's just really, it's a re- recount of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. So we, we've launched into that a little bit. John chapter 14, interestingly enough, it's all about the counselor. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit on the back end here. So as we go into 2011, abiding in Christ and loving one another, what does that look like? J. Oswald Sanders, you've heard me because it's a great book, and again, I encourage you to read it, The Spiritual Leadership, says this, The secret of Jesus' serenity lays in his assurance that he was working according to the Father's plan. You're going to see that just punctuated in 15 today. The assurance of Christ was in his reliance on the Father's plan for his life. A plan that embraced every hour and made provision for every contingency through communion and prayer with his Father. Jesus received each day both the words he would say and the works he would do. And he says this in John 14:10. The words I say to you, oh, they're not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. And he concludes in chapter 14. And we didn't, you know, you know this. It wasn't written in chapters and verses. But this statement, this thought line line of thought, Jesus concludes and says, the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So before launching into our text today, and what does abiding in Christ and loving one another look like, I want to just provide one more little quotation here from J. Oswald Sanders, same section, J. Oswald Sanders. Only once in all the recorded words of Jesus did our Lord announce that he would provide an example. Let me read that again. Only one time in all of the recorded words of Jesus did our Lord announce that he would provide an example for the disciples. And you know what he did? He took off his robe and he washed their feet. Interesting, isn't it? Only one time in the rest of the New Testament does the writer offer, quote, an example. Isn't that interesting? Only one other time. You ready for this? And that is an example of suffering. And I quote, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The Apostle Paul confirms this, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. So his examples are washing, serving, servanthood, washing the disciples' feet, and suffering. That's the only time that word example is used. And it's only two times in the New Testament that it's set up as an example. So as we look on and move forward in 2011, we want to be conscious of serving one another, certainly loving one another. Absolutely. No question about that. And isn't it interesting that this 
and I, I'm guilty of it too. But just this, this, I don't know, pandemic cure-all uh, mantra that all the leaders are following right now. Leadership, leadership, rise up leaders, leaders. And yes, there needs to be leadership, but do you know how the New Testament defines leadership? It never says the word leadership, actually. It's servanthood. We need to be serving one another, loving one another. Leadership, and I and don't want to take that out of context and blow it up and follow it into a ditch, but it's interesting that leadership, really set up as an example by Christ, is serving and suffering. Chapter 15, John. You can read with me. I'm reading from the NIV, the vine and the branches. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You're already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, verse 5, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, third time. Love each other. Warning. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. And that's why the world hates you. Remember the words that I spoke to you? No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. And they'll treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse. They have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they've hated both me and my father. But you know what? This is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. Book in. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. There's a lot there. Again, I don't want to take it out of context. It starts out with, and it's the famous passage you often hear at a 
funeral, and it's also referred to when you're studying Revelations, do not let your hearts be troubled in chapter 14. Trust in God, trust also in me. For in my Father's house are many rooms, but we're not so I would have told you. I'm going to go there and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I'm going to come back and take you to be with me where I am also. Okay? Then he says in verse 15 of 14, If you love me, you'll obey my commands, and I will give you a counselor to be with you forever, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And he goes in to lay that out a little bit more. The counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. So this is where we start in chapter 15. I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. You remember we used an illustration a couple of weeks ago about we had a tree and it had, we had planted it five years ago and it grew up and it was this deformed-looking, ugly, pathetic thing for years and never grew. And finally Lori said, you know what, get your truck, Mr. Hotshot, and pull that thing out of there. So I did pulled it out, and the root ball on it was about this big, and it had three cords around it. Okay, you remember this from a couple of weeks ago. So that little thing had just been choked off. Okay, and then we referred a couple of weeks ago when we were doing James that those cords are the cords of sin. That was our illustration for saying the cords of sin do not break loose the cords of sin that so easily entangle us in Hebrews. I think it's chapter 12. Okay, and that, yes, it had a source of water, but it was just restricted and wasn't allowing it to be its full self. Right? And we see that illustration here, this you know, similar vernacular here. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. Now, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Similarly, you know, the tree wasn't growing. It wasn't pretty. It was ugly. I pulled it out. Careful. If you're not living, and I'm not going off on a tangent here. We just need to be about the business. If you're seriously following Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and you're relying on the Holy Spirit and constantly and you're setting yourself apart from sin, you're probably going to be a fully developing follower of Christ and bear a lot of fruit. If you're not, then he'll prune you. And a lot of times this comes in accountability. I've been pruned. Andrew and Judd have pruned me. My wife prunes me. My kids prune me. This is just about accountability, pruning. He will use instruments. People are his instruments that he typically speaks to. Seldom do you see God show up in, in an epiphany and smack down somebody. In fact, I don't know that that ever occurred. I mean, Uzzah touches the ark, dies. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira die. But typically, right, I mean, those are the anomalies. Typically, he uses people to prune us. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that bears fruit he prunes. Luke records it this way in Luke 3.9. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. God places people in your lives. You say, man, that guy's hard to get along with. Man, I don't like this situation, this circumstance. Sometimes we need to just be mindful of being in the Spirit before the Lord. Oh, This particular person, this particular circumstance, this situation is here for me. This is how you're pruning me. Got it. Very good. Instead, you find yourself, I find myself like Paul, right, on the road to Damascus. Why, Paul, are you kicking against the goad? Why are you fighting me? And we find that in our own life, right? We find circumstances and people that God puts in our life, and we're going to fight them, and we're going to wrestle, and we're going to, oh, man, go home and talk and 
oh, gee, stay up at night, and my goodness, this thing that's there. Is God not sovereign? Has He not put that in your life to either pray for it and transform it or have it transform you? So as we launch into 2011, let us abide in Christ and love one another and hold each other in small groups, the means that we're going to do that in small group accountability, loving each other, serving each other. We need to be pruned, and that only happens in God's Word that we're going to see here just now. Verse 4, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, we know that at the beginning of this book is the Word. Jesus is the Word. Later in 17, in this same little, you know, that's all red letters. You can see for yourself. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. Set them apart by the truth, the Word of God. So if we are staying in, if we are remaining in Christ, then we're in His Word, and we're in fellowship with one another, and we're in prayer, and we're relying on the Holy Spirit. This is no mystery. Then we'll probably bear fruit. I love what John MacArthur says. Very, very seldom, very seldom will you find a truly godly, righteous man who's serious about holiness that finds himself in a real debilitating situation. You'll usually find him joyful while he may be in a bad situation. Amen? From the outside, you're looking and you're saying, from the outside, you're looking and you're saying, my goodness. How can somebody lead worship after what they've gone through? That, that's incredible. That's nothing more than miraculous. Verse 5. Now let's go here. It's important for us to remember the words of Paul also in Romans 11. Now this is about being grafted in. In verse 15, we're in uh, chapter 15, obviously. And verse 4, Paul says this in Romans 11, and, it, and it's important for us just to, to reach out here in, in, the, in the epistle to the Romans and hear Paul and the theology of this because it helps us understand this, this grafting in, first of all, on that side, but it also helps us in understanding abiding in. Again, I say, if you want to read with me, you can turn to Romans 11 and 11. And again, I ask, they, Israel, stumbled so as to fall beyond recovery. Did they stumble to fall beyond recovery? No. Rather, it's because of their sin. It's because of their transgression. Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world, and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their fullness bring? If some of the branches have been broken off, and you though a wild olive shoot, have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root on the true vine. Do not boast over those branches. If you consider this, you do not support the root. The root supports you. You'll say then branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in? Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief. And you stand by faith. Don't be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. I think it's important for us to remember the words spoken by Christ in John 6.63 also as we stop right here to look at this. 
The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. These illustrations serve as just that, illustrations. Let us remember here also that we're to be producing the fruit of love. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, I am only a sounding gong. I'm nothing but noise. I am nothing more than nothing, and I gain nothing if I'm not producing love. Love is patient. Love is kind. We need to be about the business of producing love. Fruits of the Spirit and love, which is one of the fruits of the Spirit. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In John 14:15, again, you can just flip the pages back and forth. If you love me, you'll obey my commands, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you, the Spirit of truth. Verse 5, 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. If you want to flip over to 1 John real quick, or just listen along, we have here in 1 John 4.15, we know that we live in Him and He in us because He's given us His Spirit. And he says in 5.14, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask for anything in his will, if we ask for anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have, we have, we ask for. (laughs) You remember in Luke, I love this. This is just like setting up softballs. Which of your fathers, if your sons ask for fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give you his Holy Spirit? Full reliance. I said it last time. What's that pin? You know, that's Bill Bright. What's this? What is this? What's this pin falling over? That's me. When I'm not relying on the Holy Spirit. He used that illustration every time. I've never seen him. I hear this from Doug Mary, who was in the ministry for 20 years. And I used it last time. Constantly relying on the Holy Spirit. You're going to see that here in just a few seconds. Verse 8. This is to my Father's glory. If you remain, Let's go to 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. All the way through 14, I only do what my Father tells me. If you've, How can I say, don't you believe in Him? The words that I say to you, they're not my own, they're my Father's. I only do what my Father tells me. I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Father, my Father is the true gardener. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. Just pause here and notice... Jesus' utter reliance and obedience on the Father. As we move into 2011, can we just exhort one another and encourage one another and inspire one another with these words that we need to be constantly relying on the Father and the Holy Spirit? Amen.
verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Just about every verse in this whole chapter you could just chew on for the rest of the day. And it just... It, it's just mind-boggling. Just a commentary in preparation here. I mean, again, it's at Mark Twain. You want me to preach for 30 minutes? I'll need a month. You want me to talk for two hours? I could go right now. It's just there's so much out there. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Here we go. Now, how do we do that? Well, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. Okay, he told you to, to remain in his love. How do you do that? Well, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. And just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and I remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other. Joy is a byproduct of obedience to God and love for one another. And it's also one of the fruits of the Spirit. When are you most joyful? After watching a football game, drinking a few sodas, or watching a sitcom, you stand up as a family, high five, and just hug and cry? <laughs> it was just so good. Isn't it silly? It really is. When do you feel the most joy? Honestly. When you go serve in a soup kitchen? When you have a, a, a women's gathering, and it, this is it. You have a women's gathering, learn how to make noodles, for crying out loud. Who would ever want to do that? I don't know. But they just sit around and fellowship, and I come home, and they're just having a ball. When they do cookie exchanges, when the men get together and do stupid things, I mean, that's when you find joy. When you go and you do a, a food drive evangelism, and you look back, and there's a whole pile of food there. When you go serve in the infant natal care, on and on and on it goes. That's when you find the greatest joy, when you're obedient to loving one another, when you're obedient to God's command. That's what joy is. Joy is a byproduct of obedience and love for one another. And it's one of the fruits of the Spirit. i got to rifle through here. i got a lot to go. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. Everything that I've learned from the Father I've made known to you. Oh, you didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I pointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Again, reiterating what he spoke in 1334, the new command that I give you, by this all men will know that you love one another. You are my disciples if you love one another. John takes this in 1 John 3.11. We just looked at that. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. What do you think the message is? Be warned. Okay, and then we'll end it up here. I don't want, you to, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer here, but this is just Scripture, and this is what Jesus is telling His disciples. This is it. He's going to be crucified here in the next day. I'm going to leave you with these words. If the world hates you, verse 18... Keep in mind that it hated me first. John reiterates this in 1 John 3.13. He says, don't be surprised, bros. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. 
Okay, back here, verse 19. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. Paul Washer, you don't have to pick it. I said this the other day. You don't have to go pick it. You don't have to get on TV. Just live a holy life. The world will hate your guts. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Are you kidding me? That's what Jesus said. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For those will be the kingdom of heaven. Just live a holy life. Just serve and love and come here and go out and pray for people and everything. They'll, if they hate you, if they do, not always. Verse 20, remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And that word persecuted dies the death of a thousand qualifications. His persecution sitting there when you bow your head in prayer and look up and they look at you like you got five noses on your forehead. It's a, yes, it's persecution. Is it as bad as being dipped in boiling oil? No. But is it persecution? Yeah. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours also. There's a word of encouragement. And they'll treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. In fact, here's an interesting little parallel. We talked about if you say one word, if you, if you were to put Jesus on a, you know, to do a teleconference and he said, don't think I've come to bring peace. I haven't come to bring peace. I've come to bring division. And then here, here are you guys, all you religious leaders, listen up. And then I went through this list of just gnarly stuff, right? Here's an interesting thing. Luke 6, or just John 16:3. just jump right over there. He says, a time is coming when they'll do such things because they have not known the Father. They'll put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Does that sound interesting to you? Have you heard that before? Is there a major religion in this world right now that thinks that they get chinks in their armor and they get a higher place in heaven if they blow themselves up and kill people? In fact, a time is coming and has come when anyone who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. Has that time come? Luke 11:10 also he who listens to you listens to me he who rejects you rejects me but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me blasphemy of the holy spirit verse 22 if i had not come and spoken to them they would not be guilty of sin now however they have no excuse for their sin he who hates me hates my father as well if i had not done among them what no one else did they wouldn't be guilty but now they've seen these miracles and yet they've hated both me and my father Every, Lee Strobel, I mean, Simon Greenleaf, there's just a zillion resources out there. The Archaeology Study Bible, I mean, there's just a thousand apologetics resources out there. You can do the research for yourself. These miracles happened, and they're accounted for, and we have recordation of them in the four Gospels and in the epistle. I mean, this stuff happened. People are without excuse. Anybody sitting here that has not made Jesus Christ their personal Savior, you're without excuse. Judgment's going to be bad. It's real bad. just is. They wouldn't be guilty of sin. Now, there is, they have no excuse. That's me included. He who hates me hates my father as well. If I hadn't done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty. Now they've seen these miracles. Okay, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 and verse 3 confirms the miracles performed by Christ in saying, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. And God also testif testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed 
according to his will. Verse 25, this was to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. People hate you without a reason. Why do people hate, hate us? There's no reason. When the counselor comes, here we go. Here's the comfort. When the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you've been with me from the beginning. Isn't that interesting? Just as we celebrated the Lord's birth on Friday night, we went to Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a son is born, a son is born, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor. Verse 26. When the counselor comes, a son, the counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Jehovah Witness comes knocking at your door. Just open up John chapter 14, 15, 16. Read them to him and say, how do you explain this? And they got to go. I think my wife's calling. Takeaways. As we head into 2011 together as a body, as we're serving one another, as we're loving one another, let us abide. Let us remain in the Word. Let us joyfully encourage one another. Let us love one another in word and good deeds. Let us serve one another and suffer for one another. Sometimes that means squeezing things in or squeezing things out of your schedule doing things when you're tired and you don't feel like it. Let us suffer for one another. Let us ask for God's love and His Holy Spirit. Let's be warned together as we head into 2011. You know that the economy is in not good, but God's good, and He'll provide for us. And there may be some really challenging times ahead. We don't know what's ahead. Let's bear one another's burdens. Be warned the world hates your guts. That's okay. They hated our Lord first. And if you look at chapter 16, at the very end of 16, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. And in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. Let's pray. Holy Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for your Son and our Savior, for your Holy Spirit, the wonderful Counselor. You are a mighty God, a Prince of Peace, Lord. And may we just be encouraged through this word. You haven't left us alone. You've given us one another. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And Lord, in the words of Paul, may the God, may you, the God of all hope, fill us with all joy and peace as we trust in you. And Lord, may we overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray a special blessing of protection. Ask that you would protect this flock going into 2011. God, we pray for an abundant provision for the men and the women of this church to provide for their families, to be abundantly, fabulously blessed by you, that we could be a blessing to Eagle and in our own circles of influence, to our families. God, and we pray for a special hedge of protection to be placed around us that we not be distracted or attracted by the cultural wiles and influences. That we stay wholly, solely, and completely devoted and reliant on You and Your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.